Thank you for listening to this production from New Life Presbyterian Church. If you'd like to find out more, visit newlifepca.org. Open in your Bibles to the book of Hosea, please. The book of Hosea, if you did not bring a Bible with you today, that's okay. We have paperback Bibles underneath the chairs in front of you. And you can find our text on page 437. 437 of the white paperback Bibles. The book of Hosea, we'll be reading the first chapter of Hosea. I want you to... uh, conduct a little thought experiment. Imagine with me if uh, a friend of yours came to you or maybe you're a parent and uh, your son comes to you and, and he says, I've met someone very special. This uh, is a person who I'm really taken with and um, she has everything I've been looking for and I feel so very special in her presence and Um, this is the one that I've been waiting for. And so you're excited as you hear him say this, and so you ask some follow-up questions. Okay, tell me, what does she like, and what does she like to do, and and what does she do for a living? Maybe she's a student, maybe, or maybe a lawyer, or a waitress, or an accountant. What does she do? And uh, the person you're talking to says, she's a prostitute. Yeah, she's a a prostitute. She... um, very promiscuous woman. Yeah, had many, many partners. And she's the one for me. She's the one I want. What would your response be in that situation? Um, really, you might say. Maybe you want to rethink that. I think that you can do better. Not sure that that's a good idea. You might be asking for some trouble. What will people think? This is scandalous. What are you doing? is probably what many of us would say. But in the book of Hosea, we get this story telling us that this is exactly what God commanded one of his people to do, marry a prostitute. It's it's a scandalous event. I mean, this is unsavory. This is the kind of seedy stuff you sometimes see in movies. And yet here it is in Holy Scripture, put here by God's Spirit, as a way of teaching us and presenting to us the extraordinary, radical nature of God's love for sinners. That's what this book is about, the book of Hosea. Um, We are in a series here at New Life called Route 66. What we're doing is going through the whole Bible, one sermon per Bible book, starting in Genesis, moving through to Revelation And today, we have reached this book of Hosea. Hosea is the book that is the entryway into the minor prophets in the scriptures, the minor prophets. We have been looking at um, the major prophets. Major prophets just means that those prophetic writings were longer. Minor prophets means that they're shorter. And uh, although we're just entering these shorter books, there are 12 of them, 12 minor prophets in the Old Testament. It seems like a, a, a pretty good portion of the Old Testament. So we'll be spending our next 12 sermons in Route 66 looking at these minor prophets. But once we're through the minor prophets, guess what? We're done with the Old Testament in our sermon series. 
and we'll move on to the New Testament starting with Matthew working our way to Revelation. But Hosea, we believe, is the author of this book. Hosea, a real person um, who lived in the 8th century B.C., so 800 or so years before the coming of Christ. Now, one thing I need to note as we get to Hosea here is that um, while the Bible itself kind of runs in general chronological order from Genesis to Revelation, there are some places where the chronology gets a little mixed up and and we go backwards just uh, a little bit. And so Hosea is a prophet to um, Israel not Judah, so you see the map here, the blue portion is Israel, the northern part of the kingdom, the yellow portion is Judah, the southern part of the kingdom. So God's people, the nation of Israel, were split up into these two kingdoms. The prophets that we have been studying so far have been preaching to the southern part of the kingdom, Judah. And here in Hosea, uh, we see him addressing the northern part And um, you see in verse 1 here, it says, The word of the Lord that came to Hosea, the son of Beeri, in the days of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah. So there's the southern part of the kingdom. And in the days of Jeroboam, the son of Joash, king of Israel. So that first verse is just setting up the time period for when Hosea was preaching. But here, this um, little chart helps you understand what I'm saying about chronology, um, you will remember that we've been talking about the exile. I just talked to the children about that, that there was a time when God's people were exiled to um, Assyria and Babylon. Israel was exiled to Assyria. Judah exiled to Babylon. So some prophets were before that exile. Some of the prophets were during the exile, and some of the prophets were after the exile. And so we've kind of been all over the place. You know, there's Isaiah. We've already studied Isaiah. He's before the exile. The last two weeks, we've been studying Daniel and Ezekiel, major prophets, preaching during the exile when the people of God were in Babylon. But now we're going back, and you'll see Hosea here. So Hosea is preaching before the exile. So Um, We're going back, I don't know, two or three centuries now as we read about Hosea. And you'll notice that the majority of the minor prophets are all before the exile, but there are also those even after the exile uh, during the time of Ezra and Nehemiah when the people returned to the land and prophets spoke during that time as well. And so eventually we'll get to Haggai, Zechariah, and Malachi. So a little just kind of background information there on Hosea. Significant events, we have this marriage between Hosea and a woman named Gomer. Yep, that's her name. And um, we have a list of accusations against Israel that constitute a good portion of of this book. We have 13, 14 chapters in Hosea. Theme, major themes in Hosea, covenant unfaithfulness, which you'll see as we get into this, and the love of God. I mean, that's what really comes through this book more vividly and more powerfully than anything else. The extraordinary, faithful, unbreaking love of God. And today, you know, you're here and you might not be feeling very loved for whatever reason. Uh, You might not be feeling loved in your family or in your workplace. You, You might even feel like you're the object of somebody's hatred. 
You might feel like you're the object of God's hatred. You might hate yourself. You might be the object of your own hatred. Uh, But what this book is going to wonderfully tell us is how extraordinary the love of God is, that God loves you, people of God, and he loves you in a bigger and greater way than you can imagine, and that's what this book tells us. So we're going to read the first 11 verses of chapter 1, actually the whole chapter. If you want to please stand for the reading of God's word, this is the English Standard Version, Hosea chapter 1. We'll get to chapter 3 also a little later, but I'm going to read that when we get to that point. Okay, Hosea chapter 1. Again, the word of the Lord that came to Hosea, the son of Beeri, in the days of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah, and in the days of Jeroboam, the son of Joash, king of Israel. When the Lord first spoke through Hosea, the Lord said to Hosea, Go, take to yourself a wife of whoredom, and have children of whoredom, for the land commits great whoredom by forsaking the Lord. So he went and took Gomer, the daughter of Diblaim, and she conceived and bore him a son. And the Lord said to him, Call his name Jezreel, for in just a little while I will punish the house of Jehu for the blood of Jezreel, and I will put an end to the kingdom of the house of Israel. And on that day I will break the bow of Israel in the valley of Jezreel. She conceived again and bore a daughter. And the Lord said to him, Call her name No Mercy. For I will no more have mercy on the house of Israel and forgive them at all, but I will have mercy on the house of Judah, and I will save them by the Lord their God. I will not save them by bow or by sword or by war or by horses or by horsemen. When she had weaned, no mercy, she conceived and bore a son, and the Lord said, Call his name not my people, for you are not my people. And I am not your God. Yet the number of the children of Israel shall be like the sand of the sea, which cannot be measured or numbered. And in the place where it was said to them, You are not my people, it shall be said to them, Children of the living God. And the children of Judah and the children of Israel shall be gathered together, and they shall appoint for themselves one head, and they shall go up from the land, for great shall be the day of Jezreel. O Lord, by your spirit, give us understanding, would you, Lord, and help us to understand this so that we might know more of your love for your people. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. So the first thing to note here before we get into uh, this book of Hosea, just by way of uh, setting the context a little further, the, the typical responsibility of a prophet, and this is kind of what most of you probably have in mind, is the prophet is somebody who speaks. He's the one that goes out and proclaims. Uh, he preaches. And that is the way the prophet most often communicates God's message. But there are some times where the prophet doesn't speak as much as he performs. That is, he engages in a kind of an action as a way of communicating something about God's heart to the people. And so you can think of examples like this. You know people who have gone on hunger strikes. They refuse to eat, or people engage in a sit-in maybe. They'll go to an abortion clinic and and sit down. Or in some serious cases, maybe somebody even like sets himself on fire, you know, as a way of protesting. And so it's not really the words that are being spoken in these situations. It's more the action that is being performed. And through that action, something very meaningfully is being 
communicated. And that's what's happening here in the book of Hosea. He is a writing prophet. He does write, so uh, that's a good portion of his ministry. But a good portion of his ministry also is his action in his life. It's something that he does. This is not just a parable. It's not a, it's not a fairy tale. It's not a story somebody's telling. This is a real man to whom God has given a very real command to do something in his life, to give a graphic picture of something that God wants to communicate. And in this case, what God is wanting Hosea to experience in particular is the pain of having an unfaithful spouse. The pain of that infidelity that Hosea would experience it and know something of the pain that God experiences when we commit spiritual adultery, when we are not faithful to him. That, that's kind of the idea here. Hosea is being asked to experience something as a way of identifying with God and then communicating to the people what God believes and what he wants them to know. So um, th this has really happened, okay, a marriage between these two individuals. So here's what I think God wants to communicate through this. There are two things, uh, and the first is this. It's, it's what makes our sin so awful? That's the first thing. What makes our sin so awful? So the Bible uses a lot of different metaphors to teach us about what God is like. And it's interesting to note some of the metaphors that are not used. We don't get a metaphor of God in his relationship to people being like a teacher to a student. We, we don't really get so much the idea of God being a master and us being slaves, although there is some of that. Um, we don't get this idea of God as a policeman and, and we are citizens and God's giving us these laws and trying to keep us in order. But those aren't really the metaphors the Bible gives us to describe the relationship to God and his people. The most common metaphor, the most striking, the most ongoing pervasive metaphor is that of a husband and a wife. A husband and a wife. Marital love is the metaphor that God uses to describe the way he relates to his people. So let me just show you some examples. Here's Isaiah 62. As a bridegroom rejoices over his bride, so will your God rejoice over you. Jeremiah 31, they broke my covenant, God says, though I was a husband to them, declares the Lord. You know, in Ephesians 5, the command to husbands to love their wives as Christ loved the church. Revelation 19, the wedding of the Lamb has come, referring to the second coming of Christ, and his bride, that is the church, has made herself ready. So these are just a few samples of this metaphor that is used. And in Hosea, it is pervasive in this book, this marriage metaphor to describe the relationship between God and his people. So let me show you how this comes out in the text. Um, we see a command <clears throat> given in verse 2. When the Lord first spoke through Hosea, the Lord said to Hosea, here's the command, go and take yourself a wife. Go marry this woman, a wife of whoredom, to have children of whoredom. Why? The next word there is for. So why is God asking Hosea to do this? Well, it's for or because the land, that's a reference to Israel, the land commits great whoredom by forsaking the Lord. So do you see the connection? you see the analogy there? 
Hosea is going to marry this woman of whoredom as a way of symbolizing or giving this graphic picture of what has happened between God and Israel. That is, Israel is a land of whoredom also because it has forsaken the Lord. Hosea and Gomer represent God and his people. Now, the word that kind of jumps off the page there um, is strong term, right? In verse 2, whoredom. And it's three times in that verse. Three times. What does this word mean? It's not limited just to prostitution. That, that's true. It's uh, a broader word used to describe all kinds of sexual misconduct. And I don't believe that Gomer was guilty of this kind of sexual misconduct at the time that God commanded Homer to marry her, that would seem unlikely because in the Old Testament there are actually prohibitions against a man marrying a, a prostitute. So it would seem odd if God would command Hosea to do something that's forbidden in his law. I, I think what he's doing is he's saying this woman of whoredom, she's not acting this way now, but she will, and, and God knows that she will, and God knows what he is doing when he commands Homer to enter, um, excuse me, uh, Hosea to enter into um, this relationship. So as the text goes on, we see that Hosea and Gomer have children. Uh, I am a Simpsons fan, so I do like Homer Simpson. And as I was kind of talking through this, I said Homer a lot. I don't know why. So if I've said it already or I say it again, just I'm, I'm, I mean Gomer. Gomer. <laughs> so we see that Hosea and Gomer have children. So verse uh, 3, we see that. He went into Gomer, the daughter of Dibliam. So um, Hosea obeys this command, takes Gomer as his wife, and then she conceives and bore him a son. So in verse 4, we see this first child. Uh, Call his name Jezreel, for in just a little while I will punish the house of Jehu for the blood of Jezreel. So Jezreel is just a place where a lot of bloodshed was shed, uh, where Israel committed some some heinous sins under the leadership of, of Jehu. And so God is saying, uh, here's one of the ways that I'm going to punish Israel. It's for those sins committed in Jezreel. And so, um, Hosea and Gomer, you're going to name your first child this as a way of symbolizing my anger against Israel for, for what they did. So that's, that's the reason for this reference to Jezreel. But if you look at verse 3, notice, she conceived and bore him a son, it says. So this is a son born to Hosea, I mean, through Gomer. So through their relationship, this first son was born. But it looks like that is not the case with the next two children. If you go to verse 6, she conceived again and bore a daughter. And the Lord said to him, call her name No Mercy. Now, notice there's no reference to this daughter being born to him. To Hosea. And so we think that this could be the time when Gomer's unfaithfulness begins, where her adultery begins. A child is born to Gomer, but Hosea is not the father. And so that's why, again, 
she's receiving this name, no mercy. I'm going to have no mercy on the house of Israel to forgive them at all. My, my mercy is dried up. I have no more patience with these people. And the, the problem here is that Israel, not only shedding blood in Jezreel, but they had also worshipped other gods. They had made other gods the preeminent affection of their hearts. And these gods were the Canaanite gods called, called the Baals. You've heard that name, B-A-A-L. Uh, if you look ahead to chapter 2, verse 13, we see this. Here's God saying, I will punish her for the days she burned incense to the Baals. Referring to Israel now. She decked herself with rings uh, rings and jewelry, and went after her lovers, but me she forgot, declares the Lord. So the text is kind of going back and forth between the relationship between Hosea and Gomer and the relationship between God and Israel. But, but here's the issue, and it seems like, again, the, this uh, spiritual adultery is beginning. This second child, no mercy, is born, but not to Hosea because of his unfaithful spouse. And then we have a third child born in verse 8. When she had weaned no mercy, she conceived and bore a son, second son, third child. And the Lord said, call his name, not my people. Now, this is the name that stings the most. Call this child, not my people. The reason this stings so much is because the covenant language that is used throughout the Bible for the relationship between God and his people is this. God says this, I will be their God and they will be my people. That's what the covenant is all about. I'm going to take this people to belong to me. I'm going to rule over them and care for them. And they're going to be my people. And we're going to have a relationship. And what Hosea, or God is saying here through Hosea, is that this third child represents something significant that's happening. And that is this, that these people are no longer mine. I am done with them. Not my people. Because of their unfaithfulness. So, this is, uh, th this is what's playing out here, this unfaithfulness of Gomer as a way of illustrating the unfaithfulness of God's people to him. Now, what does all of this <laughs> mean for us? And, and I think that, that, and there's a lot of things that can be said, but, but I'll say this. Uh, you know, sometimes people will say, now it's getting personal. And when they say that, it means, you know, there have been some things going on, but but now it's getting serious because it's getting personal, because it's, it's striking me in the heart, because this is getting close to home. And one of the things you have to understand about the God of the Bible is that he is a personal God, a living person with emotions. He's not an unmoved mover. He's not like gravity. He's not just this force. He is a person. And the very essence of sin, as it is presented to us in the scripture, is not just breaking rules. It's not like violating the terms of a contract or getting an answer wrong or on a test. You know, it's not merely that. It's not like speeding and getting a ticket. The very essence of sin is something in us that violates the heart of God and offends him personally. You were created in this life to have a relationship with God. That is, you were created to know his love and to love him back. 
That's why you exist, to know his love and to love him back. And what the scripture says is that whenever we love something more than God, we have sinned. And so often we think of sin as if it's just the horrible external stuff like rape and murder and burglary. Sin goes to the heart. Sin has to do with what our affections long for. What the scripture says is that when you love something more than God, you have committed idolatry. Idolatry. This is what uh, Tim Keller says. An idol is anything more important to you than God. Anything that absorbs your heart and imagination more than God. Anything you seek to give you what only God can give. That's an idol. It's like a God in your life. And all of us are guilty of this. Our hearts going after other things, seeking in other things what only God can give. We look to our marriages to find satisfaction and love that only God can give. We look to our career to find significance in this life that only God can give. We look to our money to provide security that only God can give. Sometimes we even look to ministry to provide the kind of affirmation that only God can give. And that's what's really at the, at the root here. Gomer has lost her affection and her love for her husband. She's gone after other lovers, and that's what sin is. Letting our heart go after anything else in this world other than God to provide our satisfaction and sense of significance. Just as a wife should be uppermost in a husband's affections, just as a husband should be uppermost in a wife's affections, so should God be uppermost in our affections. And when he's not, it breaks God's heart. Now, I don't say that to make God seem like a teenage girl who just got jilted by her boyfriend. (laughs) I mean, God is perfectly self-sufficient. He's not dependent upon us, but he is a person. He does have a heart. And he is hurt when his people sin against him. And that's what makes sin so awful. And the bottom line here, friends, and what this passage is telling us is that you and I are Gomer, okay? You and I are not Hosea in this picture. You and I are Gomer. We are spiritual hordes. That's what this this passage is saying. That's what this passage wants us to come to grips with. And that's what makes sin so awful. But the second thing, that we see in this passage is what makes God's love so amazing. And we're going to see that as we go forward to chapter 3. Just flip forward to chapter 3. I'm just going to read the first three verses. Hosea 3, 1 through 3. And the Lord said to me, to Hosea, Go again, love a woman who is loved by another man and is an adulteress. Even as the Lord loves the children of Israel, though they turn to other gods and love cakes of raisins. So I bought her for 15 shekels of silver and a homer and a lethek of barley. And I said to her, you must dwell as mine for many days. You shall not play the whore or belong to another man. So will I also be to you. So here's where the story moves forward. Gomer has committed her adulteries and her infidelities, and now God comes 
to Hosea and gives another command. And we have to stop for a moment and kind of wonder what Hosea must have felt like, you know, in all this with his wife. I mean, certainly he was very deeply hurt by a, a woman going after other lovers. He was probably angry. He might have wanted a divorce and would have had grounds for a divorce. And by the way, I will say, I don't think we should read too much into this as to what it tells us about when and to get a divorce and when not to get a divorce. 1 Corinthians 7 is much more helpful. I don't think it's the purpose of this passage. This passage is telling us about the love of God, not to give instruction necessarily on the proper time for divorce. But Hosea certainly would have had good grounds for divorce. But what does God do? He says to Hosea, Go after that woman. Go, go pursue her. You're not done with her. Yeah, she's cheated on you. She's been with a bunch of other men. But go and love her. Do you notice in chapter 1, verse 2, it says, go and take her. Chapter 3, verse 1, it says, go and love her. Don't, don't, don't go resenting her. Go and love her. This is a picture of the love of God for us. <laughs> God is a covenant-keeping God. That's what the scripture says over and over again. Psalm 105 says, God remembers his covenant forever, even to a thousand generations. God has made a promise to his people. He's entered into a relationship. He's taken us and promised that he would not turn from us, and he cannot let his people go. That's what it says later in Hosea 11. He says, how can I give you up, Ephraim? That's referring to Israel. How can I hand you over, Israel? My heart is changed within me. All my compassion is aroused. I will not carry out my fierce anger, nor will I devastate Ephraim again. How can I give you up? That's like the heart of the covenant. How can I give up my people? How can I turn from them? Even though he did say earlier he was going to do that, I know that. But here he says, I can't do it because I've made a promise. I have covenanted with my people. And so God tells Hosea, Go, go after this unfaithful woman and, and love her. You know, and we don't even receive anything in this book about whether Gomer ever loved Hosea. We have no indication. I mean, she certainly doesn't act like it, does she? <laughs> we don't get this feeling that Hosea should treat Gomer in the way that Gomer treats Hosea, like it's a 50-50 thing. No. Hosea, go after her pursue her and love her. And what does this love look like? How is it demonstrated? Well, what Hosea has to do is he has to redeem Gomer to bring her back to himself. Apparently, Gomer has fallen on hard times. Apparently, she's fallen into slavery of some sort. And so that's why in verse 2, Hosea says, so I bought her for 15 shekels of silver and a homer and a lethek of barley. So Hosea's got to go pursue, his wife's got to find her, might not even know where she is, scour the countryside, ask people questions, where is she? Oh yeah, I saw her once down with this slaveholder. You might see her there. Hosea goes, finds that she's enslaved, and Hosea pays for her release, pays for her redemption. And, and Notice also what he says here is in verse uh, 3, he says, you shall not play the whore or belong to another man. In other words, Hosea is saying, you're not going to be a whore anymore, Gomer. Those days are over. 
But, but notice he doesn't say, stop being a whore and I will redeem you. No, he redeems her first and then says, stop playing the whore. That there's a responsibility you have to me now. But her behavior is not the reason for Hosea's willingness to redeem her. Hosea redeems her because he loves her. And so he buys her back and purchases her. Now, I hope you can see the parallels here to the gospel in, in the New Testament. I mean, they're really pretty prevalent, aren't they? Just as God commanded Hosea to go and love this woman and, and, and redeem her out of slavery, so did the Father give a command to the Son, the Lord Jesus, to go into the earth in the person of Jesus, and pursue your people and purchase them out of slavery. Except the price paid by Jesus was a lot more than a few shekels. He had to pay with his own life. He had to pay with the shedding of his blood. Do you see that, what this is a picture of? Ultimately, it's a picture of God's love for you and me in Jesus Christ. And so we see this in Romans 5. God, God demonstrates his, love, his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, while we were spiritual whores, while we were committing spiritual adultery, Christ died for us. That's how amazing God's love is. People don't do that. People don't say, I give up my life for someone who's cheating me and hurting me and wounding me and offending me. But that's what God does. Gives up his life to redeem his people. So, friends, what is it today that might make you just feel like, like you are just outside the scope of God's love? What is it that makes you feel hated? And maybe it's something about your personality, maybe it's uh, an insecurity, some sort of deficiency, the, the way you look, something about your appearance, maybe it's something you've endured, maybe you're a victim of sexual abuse or emotional abuse or verbal abuse, it's made you feel worthless, it's made you feel like you're someone that no one could ever love, maybe it's a, an addiction, you can't get past it. You can't free yourself from it. How can God love me when I keep doing this? Maybe it's an abortion that you've had. Maybe it's an anger problem. You can't hold it down. Maybe it's, maybe it's an attraction that you have to somebody of the same sex. And, and you have this view that God just doesn't love people that way. See, the book of Hosea just challenges all of that. What, what the book of Hosea says is, is this, that that while your affections might wander away from God, his affection will never wander away from you. Isn't that beautiful? That's the gospel. You might go after other lovers, but God won't. God doesn't have a wandering eye. His eye is on you. The people of God. And that's why Sinclair Ferguson says this, God's love is the most awesome thing about him. It's not about his, it's not his justice, nor his majesty, nor even his blazing holiness, but the fact that he has made and keeps a covenant of personal commitment and love to his people. 
There's a songwriter named <clears throat> Derek Webb who wrote a song called Wedding Dress. <clears throat> and he's, he's singing here to God, and, and he says this. And, and this, I think, just captures the, the attitude that we ought to have as we come to God, whether you're a Christian or not. If you're not a Christian, this is the kind of attitude you can bring into your heart and, and express this to God. So here's what Derek Webb says. I am a whore, I do confess, but I put you on like a wedding dress and I run down the aisle. I am a prodigal with no way home. I put you on like a ring of gold and I run down the aisle to you. That's the call on your life and on mine. We don't have to run down an aisle, <laughs> literally, but you do need to run to Jesus in faith. Go to him and he will receive you. Trust him, lean on him, and become a recipient of his never stopping, never giving up, unbreaking, always and forever love. God, we thank you so much for your love for us. God, it, it, is, it is beyond our comprehension. Your love is extraordinary. And God, help us, Lord, to, to receive it, to meditate, to reflect, to cherish it, Lord. I pray that your love for us would fill us with love for you, love for others, and love for your world. In the name of our Savior, Jesus, who has risen for us. In his name we pray.